How is it that there are independent musicians out there who have no ties to any big record labels or financial backing able to get their music heard by millions of people and live out their dreams of being full-time musicians? That's the question, and on this podcast, we will discover the answers together. I'm Lizzy the Gifted, and this is the Music Mastery Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode. I know this is not going to be a music-related podcast, but I just got this legendary guest that I needed to bring on. Um, before I introduce him, I kind of want to just talk about his background. He's been the head coach of the Chico State men's basketball team for 13 years, led the Wildcats to 10 postseason appearances, including seven NCAA championship berths, two NCAA West region titles, three CCAA regular season champions championships. Um, he's been named the CCAA Coach of the Year three times, and many of his players have gone on to play professionally overseas in the NBA G League. He's a husband, he's a father, a mentor, and a leader. Introducing Coach Greg Kalink to the show. Thank you, Lizzy. Appreciate it. Man, so happy to finally have you on. I've been in my head having this episode in my head for so long, and I just, I just never pulled the trigger, and now we're in it. Well, I've been listening to your podcast, and I'm excited to be a part of it. So thank you for asking me. That's awesome. Well, so tell, tell us, like, we, you know, we'll get into coaching, leadership, and stuff. Like, just tell us, like, how you grew up um, and kind of how that direction took you toward coaching. Yeah, well, I, I grew up uh, – in a town called Morgan Hill, um, which is South San Jose, uh, in between Gilroy and, and San Jose. Um, we actually uh, lived in San Jose till I was about 10 and then moved down there. My mom's family's from Gilroy, uh, so that's kind of where her, her roots are. But uh, had a great childhood, loved sports, played basketball, baseball, soccer, um, but basketball was my love. And, and, uh, I, I knew playing basketball in high school that I wanted to play in college. I went to our local junior college, played there for two years, transferred to Chico state, was able to make the team at Chico state, played there for a couple years, uh, loved Chico so much. I, I stuck around and got, uh, a teaching credential, then a master's degree. Um, you know, I, I, I went to Chico State and I, I knew from the time I was probably about 14 or 15 that I wanted to coach. Always thought I wanted to be a high school basketball coach. Um, and it wasn't until maybe my junior, senior year of college where I, I started to uh, switch that and, and want to be a college basketball coach. But I uh, got my teaching credential because really that was the plan the whole time was to get a teaching credential and, and coach high school basketball. Um, and then I had some opportunities at the college level and, um, you know, that kind of took me on a path, uh, in the college, uh, ranks and led me to where I am now. Wow. So before Chico, you coached at UC Davis, right? I coached. So I, I started my coaching career at Chico state. I, I finished playing, graduated from Chico state and then worked as a graduate assistant for two years at Chico state. And then, uh, from there, I had an opportunity to go work for a coach named Bob Williams at UC Davis. And I was there about nine months, had a great experience there. I then became a head junior college coach at the age of 26. I was a, a JC coach, head coach. I uh, was at Gavilan College, um, where I actually went before I came to Chico State. I uh, was there about nine months. And then Bob Williams, the guy I worked for at UC Davis, ended up getting 
that year, that next year, the, the head coaching position at UC Santa Barbara. So I went back and worked for Bob Williams as an assistant at UC Santa Barbara for two years um, and then went back to UC Davis as an assistant for, and I was there eight years prior to getting the Chico State job. Right. Well, so that's, so first off, you've bounced around a lot. Um, what, like, how did that, I mean, and so it sounded like you were in your twenties, maybe thirties, like how did that affect your life just bouncing around so much? Um, it was exciting. You know, I, I had great experiences everywhere I was at. Um, you know, my first stint at UC Davis, I learned a ton. I'd been, uh, I'd been at, you know, with the same head coach at Chico State playing and coaching for five years. And I kind of knew what that was about. So to go to UC Davis, which was a big time program um, at the Division II level in conference uh, and see something different, you know, see how uh, a, a different program was run. And then going uh, from there to being the head coach at the junior college, I probably learned more in that year being the head coach at the junior college. And I, you know, have maybe, you know, that learning experience, you know, I was, I was, I didn't have an assistant. I had an English professor that would come over and help me during practice. But outside of that, I, I had to, you know, mop the floors, wash the practice gear, wash the uniforms. Um, Wow, you know, bro! <laughs> set up the set up the court. Set up, find scorekeepers. Pull out the bleachers. Uh, you know, so you learned. You had to learn real fast how to be organized and how to get stuff done. Um, you know, and then I had the opportunity to go down to UC Santa Barbara uh, when Coach Coach Williams, the year I was coaching at uh, Gavilan Junior College. UC Davis, where I was the year before, went on to win the Division II National Championship that year. Mm. Uh, so that was really what created the opportunity for him to go to UC Santa Barbara. And I was fortunate enough to uh, get on staff there and, and just learned a ton about how to build a program and how to build culture. And um, so anyway, to answer your question, I had uh, tremendous experiences at every place and learned a lot about what I wanted to do if I ever got my head coaching opportunity and learned, you know, a lot about what I wouldn't do. So mm. uh, each place I, I soaked it up and, and had a great experience. An incredible story. You know, one thing I want to know, you talked about learning about culture. Um, what are, what are some things that you implement in your culture at Chico state? And also how do you approach coaching in that way? Well, let me tell you, let me tell you a kind of a, a story and I kind of led into it. So um, this was 1996. Okay. And, and I was a grad assistant at, uh, Chico state making no money. Um, I met, I, so what I did is I, I wrote a bunch of letters, you know, this is before we started using email and I, no one had a cell phone. And so I, I typed out, uh, letters and, uh, sent them to coaches all over the country, right? Just introductory letters. And one of them I sent to coach Williams at, UC Davis. And so that was my first connection with him. And so uh, that spring, um, I think it was the spring of 96, I went down and had lunch with Coach Williams and he offered me a position. Okay. My first paid position, $5,000 for the year. Thought I hit the lottery. Okay. So I, accept, <laughs> I accepted it and I went down that next year and worked for him. And he hit the UC Davis program at that time was really, really 
good. This was the year before they won the national championships, just to give you an idea of how streamlined that program was at that time. So I went down and I got to witness what great culture was all about. Okay. Um, and, and we had that at Chico too, but it was a, just a different way of approaching it. Um, you know, I got to see how, how he built culture, how, how it was built. Okay. So fast forward now that next year I go to, go to uh, Gavilan college the following year, coach Williams gets the job at UC Santa Barbara at that time in 98, the UC Santa Barbara program was in upheaval, right there. It, it, the culture was awful. The coach uh, had been mm. fired. There was a player revolt uh, the year before, um, you know, multiple mm. losing seasons in a row, uh, bad character in the program. So I got to go down and watch and be a part of watching coach Williams change the culture of that program. Okay. So UC Davis, I went into the deal and the program, the, the wheel was spinning, right? It was all good. I got to go two years later and watch really how he did that. Uh, mm. And how, how, uh, you know, ruthless is the wrong word. It's not ruthless. It's, but it's just how uh, stubborn and um, accountable and, uh, disciplined that you have to be when you're going in and establish. Everybody talks about culture, but you got you got to uh, really demand it and have a vision of what your culture wants to look like. And you have to be stubborn and hold everybody from the players, the assistant coaches, uh, the student managers, the tra- everybody that's within that that program. You have to hold accountable for what you want your vision and your culture to look like. And I got to see that firsthand at, at UC Santa Barbara. So uh, that was one of the greatest learning experiences of my life. Um, you know, it taught me what it takes in order to uh, build and sustain and constantly improve uh, a program. Um, so it was an, an amazing experience. And what and what were some of those things that you learned at your time in Santa Barbara that built the well, culture? The big the biggest thing is you, you have to have the right people on board. That's to me the number one thing. You have to have people that are going to buy into your vision. You have to be able to uh, <clears throat> you know demonstrate your vision and communicate your vision, and then you have to have people that are going to buy into that and believe in it. It uh, doesn't mean that everybody's going to agree with everything you do all the time, but uh, you have to have the right people on board. And so that first year at UC Santa Barbara, I don't remember how many guys um, were asked to leave, but there were a handful of guys in that program that were not going to buy into it, right? So the first thing Coach Williams did is he established a coaching staff that was going to believe in what he did and follow through and and uh, help him with it. And then it was about the players, you know, the student athletes. And there were a handful of guys that were asked to leave the program uh, immediately. uh, And then after that first year, and then it was about recruiting and bringing in guys that were not only good basketball players, but guys that were going to believe and buy in and, uh, you know, that wanted to be a part of something special. Um, So to me, that's the biggest thing is, is, the people that you have. If you don't have people that are going to believe in what you do, you know, you can preach and, and talk about your vision all you want, but you have to have people that are going to follow through with it. So to me, that's the biggest part of it. Wow. So establishing the right people around you be the number one thing. That's I never, it's such an interesting tip because, you know, usually we hear, you know, got to get 
you got to work hard, you vision, but like, it's such a unique thing to say, you got to have the right people around you. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's the biggest, you know, we talk about, you know, team chemistry is, is something that every coach talks about, right? We don't, you know, you've been with us, Lee, we don't do a lot of, you know, team building things like we're, you know, rope courses or, you know, retreats or, you know, and, and I believe in that stuff. I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but to me, the, the biggest way and the fastest way you develop team culture is you get good people together. And it could be people from all different walks of life, religions, races, beliefs, political views. But if you're a good person and I'm a good person and the three other guys that are around us are good people, we're probably going to get along and we're probably going to have good chemistry, even though maybe you and I see different uh, on certain things and have different views, you know, you and I get along because we're both good people and uh, we want to get along. So to me, it's about getting the right people involved. And then, uh, you know, then to the other big part of it is just holding people accountable for what you want done and the mm. culture that you want built and the vision that you have. Um, and if you're not going to do that, then again, it's not going to work. So, uh, and good people are easier to hold accountable than bad people, which is pretty obvious, right? Right. Right. So, so I, I, I want to know, I mean, when you go through the recruiting process of, you know, obviously the players got to be talented, athletic, skilled, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. What, when you've kind of decided, okay, this is a player we want, what's like the, uh, you know, I, I know the process, but I kind of want you to say to the listeners, like, what's that process of like verifying that that person is a good person, like your background check. Sure. So when we go out and we recruit, obviously we're not going to recruit somebody that's not a good basketball player, right? If we don't feel that that they're going to help us win games, then we're, we're, you know, we're not obviously recruiting somebody. So that's the first thing is, is you, you know, we've got to notice that, you know what, you've got something uh, special in terms of your skill set and athleticism that's going to help us win basketball games. So, uh, you know, we, we, we get transcripts. We obviously have to have guys that are going to get into school that are going to be successful in college. Uh, and then it's really a, a, about character and uh, honesty and hard work and coachability. And those are the things that we really vet with AAU coaches, high school coaches, junior college coaches, school counselors. We'll, we'll spend August getting transcripts uh, from schools on guys, right? If we're recruiting you, Lee, we're going to call your high school and, and get an unofficial transcript to see if we can even get you into school. When we have your high school counselor on the phone. We're going to say, well, what, you know, what, what kind of guy is Lee? Do you like being around him? Does he show up on time? Uh, is he a good guy? Uh, do you get excited when he walks in your office? You know, so we start to ask those type of questions and we've passed on really good players. I, I'll tell you a story. It's probably seven or eight years ago, but, and we were trying to really build the program and we needed as many good players as we could get. But we had a player from uh, Sonoma County, a uh, 6'10 guy that we brought on campus with his family and walked him around. And I just didn't get a great feel for him. And then I went over and watched him practice. And, you know, I knew his high school coach and I was asking his high school coach after practice, I said, you know, do you, do you like recruiting or do you like coaching him? And he looked at me and he says, well, do you want the truth? And I said, yeah. He goes, no, I don't like coaching him. And so that was, you know, that was enough for me. I left, I went back and I told my assistant who had been recruiting this guy, I said, we're done. We're done with this guy. His coach doesn't like recruiting him. We didn't really like him when we had him on campus. 
and my assistant was all upset and you know, but he's good. He's good. He's good. I go, I'm not going to be around him for the next four years. And if his high school coach doesn't like coaching him, what makes you think I'm going to, you know? Um, so it's things like that. It's really, uh, digging into somebody's character, their personality. We obviously bring them on recruiting visits to see, you know, at that point we know how good they are, but it's to sell them on the campus and the program, but also to see if we want to be around them for the next four or five years. Right. Uh, so it's really, uh, you know, we do, I would say background checks, right? We background check, you know, it's like you Lee. So you were a manager for us for multiple years and right. I would never would have, I never would have invited you in the program. It wasn't for Frank Alaco calling and telling us what a great guy you were, right? We could teach right. you all the things that you needed to do to do your job. Uh, but he raved about you as a person and what a hard worker you were and what a great character you had. So, I mean, and I've known that man for, you know, 25 years. And so that was enough for me. And, um, but yeah, we do that with everybody. I do that with my assistant coaches, uh, student managers, uh, players, obviously. So it's, it's about really diving into somebody's personality and making sure that that's a, it's a good fit. Mm -hmm. Well, I, first of all, thank you so much for that. Like, I, I'm so happy that I, um, had the opportunity to work for Chico State, three of the best years of my life. And uh, it was just incredible for me to get to be there in that culture. And, you know, I've talked about this before, but like one of the things um, that really surprised me was how even first day when I met you and Coach Gabe and Coach Blake, how important you guys made it known that, you, you know, you, you might think you're just a manager, but you're going to be with us physically, like around us. Like we're all about culture. And you were, you were very like clear with me about how important it was for me to bring positive energy and to um, just be somebody everyone, everybody wanted to be around, which surprised me. Cause I thought, okay, team manager, you're just going to set up practice, whatever. But um, I really just, I, I really respected that about what you've done with the program is, is everybody who's there has to be on board. Well, and I, and I think you brought up a good point. I think it's about communicating the expectations, right? And, and you're talking about the first day you were in the office, the, the, we communicated what we expected of you. And uh, then it was just your job to follow through with that. And there were times probably when, you know, we had to say, hey, Lee, this is how we, we do this. And, you know, but once you, once you figured all that out, then you found ways to take it to another level. And that was one of the things we loved about you is, is you didn't Thank just you. do your job. You found ways to uh, make everything better. Um, so, but I think the key point is, is the communication part, right? I talked about this vision that the leader has to have, and then you have to communicate that to everybody that's working in that organization. And then you got to hold them accountable for doing their jobs and, and making it better. So uh, right. I think that's a part of it. I know one thing not to ever do. Don't wear wristbands or anything in the, in the <laughs> practice. Don't wear a watch or wristband. I made that mistake, I think, one too many times. Oh, well, you can wear a watch, Lee. You got to know what time it is. Yeah, but there was one. I had a wristband, and you you, you looked. It was maybe the second or third, and you said, if you don't take that thing off, I'm snipping it off. Well, and just I was like, man, the, no. the viewers, why, that, why we're talking about that is one of the things that we do is – you know, and this is really important with the players is, is we all, we all dress the same, right. Uh, in terms of how we wear our practice uniforms, uh, you walk into the gym and 
you know, our guys aren't wearing headbands and wristbands and, you know, arm sleeves. And, and the reason I do that is, is, you know, I, I tell them if, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to separate yourself from your teammates, it's going to be by how you play, right? How well you play, how hard you play, how hard you compete. There are ways to separate yourself, but we're not going to separate ourselves by, you know, I always say looking like a rodeo clown, right? You see a rodeo <laughs> clown and all the, the gear they wear. We're, we're yeah. going to separate ourselves by how hard we play and, and how well we play. Um, you know, and that goes for our staff too. We're, we're going to wear Chico State shirts in the gym. Yeah. We're going to uh, look professional. We're going to uh, conduct ourselves and, and look a certain way. Uh, so I think that's, that's one of the things that, and it doesn't mean it has to be important in every organization, but it's one of the things that are important to me. Well, and it's like, it's like, if you think about it, if somebody can't buy into that, how are they going to be able to buy into, you know, anything, you know, college basketball gets complicated and hard. How can you, you know what I mean? Well, let me, let me, let me take it one step further. Cause what we're really doing here is preparing guys for life. And if you can't buy into uh, dressing a certain way, playing college basketball, uh, what are you going to do when your boss tells you you have to wear a tie to the office? Right. right. You rebel against that. Well, if you do, you're probably going to have other issues and not work there very long. So, you know, the other thing that this does is it teaches people how, you know, it's sometimes, sometimes you have to conform a little bit, you know, and it doesn't mean you have to lose your beliefs and your identity, but uh, there are certain things that you have to do to be a part of certain organizations. And the quicker you learn that, the, easier it's going to be for you as you move on into your professional life. Right. Well, it's like, so, you know, kind of to throw a little music in there, like for people listening, I have people listening who are musicians, rappers, producers, entrepreneurs. And uh, one thing I've noticed just from like my whole journey of doing music is like, there are so many little details that I have to cover that I can't miss with all these steps of the process and um, I think just playing basketball growing up, knowing like things like that, like, you know, wear a certain color socks or the wristband or any of those things helps me now when I'm, you know, mixing a track or when I'm making the drums. And uh, same thing with being an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs, you can't miss anything. You can't miss a beat. You know, you're right. Your wife is an entrepreneur. Right. The same thing. And so um, can you talk about like, because when I was there, it, it looked like a lot of people bought in but you've had years at chico where you had to kind of build the program can you talk about some of those years and how maybe it was kind of were there challenges with oh, guys not buying into the culture yeah. so, so my first year when when we got here i think there were eight or nine guys in, that were ineligible uh i dismissed seven guys from the team before we even started uh either for academic reasons or uh character you know just to be put a quite bluntly, there were losers in this program. And it was about uh, those first probably three years, two to three years, it wasn't about winning basketball games. And we won games, but it wasn't about winning basketball games. It was about establishing how we were going to operate, you know, and we keep using the word culture, but it, it was about how, how are we going to work and how are we going to operate on a day-to-day -day basis and who were we going to get that done with. And it was about recruiting good basketball players that were great guys. And we took some players that maybe, you know, in this day and age where we're at with the program right now, we wouldn't recruit 
You know, they probably mm. weren't good enough, but they were great guys and they established, helped establish a culture and a, and a way we operated on a, on a day-to-day basis. And so, yeah, there were challenges. I mean, I'd walk in the gym and, you know, and just to give everybody a, a kind of a snapshot, when you walk into one of our practices and you show up 10 or 15 minutes early, the guys that are, are there, they walk in and they, they're on task, right? They have a routine that they do, a pre-practice yep. routine that they're expected to do and they, they do it. And if you walked into our gym, you know, in the last few years, you'll see them doing it. Well, in year one or two, I would constantly walk in the gym and there would be guys off task. They'd be talking or, you know, screwing around and I'd have to get them back on task or an assistant coach would have to get them on task. We're at the point in our program where if a freshman comes in and doesn't know what to do before I even get to them, one of our players has already got to them, you know, and yep. I pull them and say, say, Hey, come over here. This is what we do. Let me teach you, you know, our ball handling routine. Let me teach you our step in jump shooting routine uh, that we do. And, and we get those guys on task. So there were a lot of challenges, um, how we operated on the road, how we dressed on the road, how we treated people while we, we traveled, you know, all those things had to be established. Uh, so many, many challenges. I could go on and on and on about all the challenges and there still are challenges. Um, but we're at the point where, you know, we've got that wheel spinning and now it's really about how do we find little ways to make it better. Right. Well, I mean, and we're all going through a challenge right now with this COVID-19 thing. Like, can you talk about your team's experience with how you guys have been handling that? Well, so let's back back up to March. Uh, we had made the NCAA tournament. We bust down to San Diego to play uh, in the NCAA tournament. And then the next day is when the, the COVID thing in terms of sports really got impacted. Uh, I remember sitting in the hotel room, it was about 9 a.m. and I had the TV on and, you know, the NHL was talking about canceling. Uh, the NBA was talking about postponing. Uh, Major League Soccer had just come out. Different conferences around the country and, and were canceling their uh, postseason basketball tournaments. And so by noon that day, I had gotten a call that we were not going to be participating in the NCAA tournament. It was being canceled, and we came back. I haven't been in the office uh, but once to pick something up uh, since March 23rd. Um, our team is just starting – uh, online classes next week. Uh, most of them are moving back to town, uh, but we'll, we will not be doing much of anything outside of Zoom uh, meetings and, you know, for the foreseeable future. So it's a challenge. It's a day-to-day thing. Uh, it's an ever-changing dynamic. You know, a month ago, I would have thought we'd be starting workouts this fall, and I still hope that there's a chance for that, but we don't know when or if that's going to happen. So we're just kind of rolling with it. Um, you know, there it's unfortunate, uh, but at the same time, we're safe and we're healthy, and there are a lot of other things going on in the world that are a lot worse than what we're going through as a basketball program right now. But uh, it's different, you know, and we're rolling with it and we're trying to make the best of it. We're as a coaching staff trying to make sure that our guys are still uh, able to, to be successful academically, even though the academic situation looks totally different than normal. Um, right. and we're just trying to uh, give them the best experience that they can get under these circumstances. So, yeah. Man, it's super tough. I know like uh, with our basketball program that we're worth that we're coaching with ASA Prime, it was weird too because 
we have kids and, you know, I think like working with like children, it's like so much different that they have to like stay inside. Like they don't have any freedom. So it's been weird. Uh, I think it's been weird for them, but we've been trying to do the same thing, like using zoom a lot to try to get kids to come to workouts. And um, we're kind of starting to like, they're allowing people to meet in person to practice, but you have to be six feet. There's all these these things, but I think I want to know too, just from this time in general, like not just with your basketball program, but just life, like, is there, are there any like lessons that you've been able to pull out of this whole thing? Well, I, you know, I don't know if there's any lessons. I, I think I've tried to find ways to better myself through this whole thing, uh, especially in those mm-hmm. early months when we really couldn't leave the house. Um, you know, it's like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do uh, in terms of self-improvement. Well, I'm going to work out, you know, I'm going to try and work out a lot. Uh, we built a little gym in our garage, you know? Um, so that's one, you know, reading, what can I do, um, in terms of trying to expand my reading, you know, and I've, I've been doing that. Uh, I love to play the guitar. Um, I've been screwing around with the guitar for 25 years. Well, I've gotten better at the guitar in the last six months than I had in the previous six years. Uh, so just, you know, trying to do spending more time with my kids, you know, trying to find, uh, ways to connect with them. Um, you know, my one son's into music. So trying to connect with him on that, I have another that's into wrestling. Uh, another one plays football, you know, just trying to find ways to spend more time with them. Uh, you know, connecting with my wife, you know, this is a a time of the year when it's usually a downtime for me anyway, but uh, we've spent more time together in the last six months than we have in a long time. So just trying to find different ways to, you know, fill my time in a positive way. Right. Yeah. It's it's similar to me. Like I still am living with my parents. And so we've been getting to spend a lot more time together. And um, yeah, I think that when this whole thing happened, the, the first thing I thought was I just need to you got to focus on yourself because literally, or your family, because there's nothing else you're even allowed to go see. And so, yeah, similar path here too, just like reading a lot more, more exercise, um, more piano practice, you know, been doing that. So yeah, man, like how are, how are your, um, how are your players? Like, have you been keeping in touch with them? Like how have they been reacting to all this? Yeah, no, they're, they're resilient. You know, they're, they're disappointed. Um, in the fact that we can't get go, you know, normally next week we'd be starting workouts and weightlifting and all that. Uh, they're disappointed that we haven't been able to do that, but you know, they're, they're handling it just kind of the way that I said I handled it. You know, they're finding ways to try and stay in shape. They're, uh, spending more time with their families. Um, you know, they're, they're making the most of the situation and they're positive. And, and to answer your question, yeah, we've been connecting, with them through zoom meetings. Um, I've been having individual meetings. Uh, I had FaceTime meetings with all five of my seniors, uh, two days ago. Um, so, you know, we're finding ways to connect with hard because you, you haven't been able to see them. I haven't seen, you know, maybe one or two in person, but the majority of them haven't seen them since March, you know, in person, uh, we've signed three guys that normally we'd have on recruiting visits. I haven't had a chance to see them, you know, um, in person outside of a a zoom meeting. So that part has been weird, but they're, they're handling it about as good as you can handle it. So, um, you know, the, these type of situations are out of our control. Um, so we're just trying to make the most of it and the best of it and, and do what we can to, you know, stay driven and, and positive. 
Yeah, I love it. And you, you've brought up your family a couple of times. Like, t- can you talk about uh, what it's like being, you know, a college basketball coach and also being a father of three and a husband? Like, what's like balancing all of that been like? Uh, it's ever evolving, you know, when they were little kids, it was a lot different. Um, I would say it was probably more challenging when they were younger, uh, because of the amount of, you know, time and, and care that they need when they're little guys, right? I have three, three teenage sons. Um, and when they were younger and when I would be traveling, either recruiting or, uh, on the road with games that all fell on my wife. Um, it's still a challenge, but they're at the point where they're a lot more self-sufficient now. Uh, one of them's got a driver's license. Um, you know, two of them have jobs. Uh, you know, they're able to be on their own a little bit. So uh, it's, it's become a little bit easier. With that being said, they're off doing their own thing a lot more. So it's harder to connect with them. Um, you know, their interests and, and their time that they want to spend with their friend. You know, mom and dad kind of take a second uh, seat sometimes, you know, back right. seat to that sometimes, but, um, it's good. You know, I got an incredible wife, uh, you know, together we, you know, we are parenting, uh, values and, and how we parent are very in line. So I, I think we do a good job with it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's always something like for me, like, you know, I'm 26, I don't have kids, I'm not married or anything, but I know down the road, that's something I want to I want to accomplish is having like a family and I always am, uh, I always respect, you know, men like you who like have these super busy lives, but also like are able to balance having a family. Cause that's something I want one day, you know, not for a while, but yeah. 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 Uh, no, it's, it's, it's hard, but it's, you know, it's good. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a big traveler. I'm not a, you know, I, I, there's some hobbies and things that I like to do, but I enjoy being home. You know, I enjoy my time here. I enjoy my time uh, with my family, um, you know, so that it is challenging and it's hard, but at the same time, it's something I love to do. That's, that's amazing. You know, one, one, uh, one thing I want to ask about too, like you, we've talked a lot about like teamwork and we've talked a lot about having the right people around you. Um, but I want to get a take on what you have to do when you're by yourself, because as a musician myself, there's a lot of alone time. And I know a lot of my listeners don't have like, it's not a position where they can build a team. And I know as a basketball player, right. I know coach Alaco always said the, the all American is the one who goes hundred percent when no one's watching. Right. Talk about some of those times you've had kind of like by yourself where you've needed to develop. Well, I think it's about finding something that you're passionate doing, right? You obviously are passionate about music and you have to spend a lot of alone time doing that. You know, I think that if you're in a profession uh, where you're having to spend a lot of time alone and it's something you don't like, it's going to be very hard to be motivated to be great at that. You know, I think you need to find, you know, with my profession, you know, in terms of, of how we do it, there's not a lot of alone time. It's, it's working with the staff. It's working with the team. Um, I'm constantly around other people that are passionate about basketball, passionate about coaching, passionate about playing. Um, so that part's easy, you know, um, in my personal life, I try and find things that I'm, I'm passionate about golf right now. Right. I love to play golf during the basketball season. I don't ever get to do it, but this time of the year I get to do it and I don't only play it, but I carve out pieces of my week where I can go out and practice, you know, and I find things that 
I need to get better at. I video my swing. I try and break down what I need to do to get better at. And at the end of the day, you know, it's not important to anybody but me, but it's something that I'm passionate about. I talked about, um, you know, playing the guitar. It's something right now that I, I love to do. I don't do it a lot, but in that 45 minutes a day that I'm doing it, I'm really into it. Right. Um, so I think to answer your question, you, if, if you're somebody that doesn't work with a group of people, you know, you're, you're, you're in your garage, you're in your room, you're in your office and you're having to spend a lot of time by, you got to find something that you love to do, right? Or you, if you have a job that might be mundane, you got to find a way to put a spark in it and, and make it interesting and, and make goal setting, you know, if you're a salesman and you have to make X amount of calls a day or a week, how do you, how do you get yourself fired up for that? How do you make that interesting? How do you, you know, accomplish that when maybe that's not the the most exciting or fun thing for you to do? So, um, you know, I do that with recruiting calls, right? I got to make recruiting calls and communicate with guys. It's not something I really enjoy. So I got to find a way to do it. I got to carve out a piece of time and say, okay, for the next hour, hour and a half, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to shut myself off to the rest of the world and I'm going to get this done. And then after I feel pretty good about myself, but it's, it's about getting started doing it. Right. And so, right. you know, kind of kicking yourself in the butt and one, once you get going, then you get into it, you know? So I don't know that I have all the answers on that, but those are things that, that work for me, you know, trying to carve out pieces of my day where I'm trying to get done the things that maybe I don't like to do and, you know, just getting started. And once I get started, I feel like, okay, I got it rolling and, you know, it's never as bad as you make it out to be. Right. Yeah. Right. And one thing I really, I want to pull out of what you just said was when you're done, you feel pretty good about yourself. And, and I've totally, I've totally get that. I think everybody can understand that it's better to get it done. Cause if you don't do it, because you kind of listen to that temptation to not, you feel worse about yourself. Well, and it's like working out, right? There are certain days where I'm excited to work out. And then there's other days where it's like, I don't want to do this today. Well, I'm going to go out and do it anyway. I just got done reading a book uh, called Atomic Habits. And one of the things in there, and I'm going to do a poor job of explaining this, but it's it, you have to create habits and you have to, you know, you have to follow through with your habits even, you know, and I'll use working out as an example, right? Let's say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you have great workouts and Thursday, you're just not feeling it and you want to take the day off. Even if you have a bad workout, get the workout done, right? Get it done because that's going to enable you to get the Friday one done. And, and the next time you don't feel like doing it, you've created that habit. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. And it might not be my best one, but I'm going to accomplish the act of doing it. Right. And it could be, I'm trying to relate it to what you do. You know, maybe you have three beats that you need to produce, right? Right. And that day you just, you don't feel like doing it. Well, get it started, right? At least start the process of it. And then sometimes you'll find that, you know what, you got what you've done, what you needed to get done because you started the process, you started the habit. Um, so I think that's important. And that's something that I try and do with, you know, exercise, I try and do with things that I have in my job, you know, fundraising is part of my job. I don't like to fundraise, you know, but there are certain times I got to call people and ask them for money or set up meetings. And I find that if I get the process started, then it becomes easy. But if I just keep delaying it and procrastinating it, then I don't feel good about it. So, 
You know, it's about just getting started sometimes, you know, kicking yourself in the butt and just getting, getting the process going. And then you find that an hour later you've accomplished something. Yeah. You know what? You hit the nail on the head with like how I feel about stuff. Like I talk about all those things all the time. It's all about, um, I always talk about like the source of happiness. Like I feel like, you know, I'm always trying to find what makes me happy. And it's, it's, it's doing the things that you initially don't want to do, but that you know are good for you. Like, and that's really hard. And that's something that I didn't get. I wish I had understood that in high school and college, I didn't get that till after I graduated. Um, (laughs) You was college. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I, I, I was the biggest procrastinator in the world when it came to school and high school and college. And I obviously, you know, did enough to get a college degree, but uh, I, you know, looking back on it, I wish that I had some of, you know, I guess that's the learning process too, but, you know, I wish I had, uh, you know, some of, of the habits that I have now back in college, I would have been a lot more successful. I would have felt a lot better about, you know, what I did in school academically, but, you know, I guess you, you got to go through that to get to where you are these days, this, you know, and, and today. So, but right. yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Right. Well, Hey, I, we've covered so many amazing topics and I know you got to go pretty soon, but if you could just give us maybe one, you know, one last, uh, couple of words that you want to just say to the people, what would it be? Well, I, I just talk about you for a minute. I mean, you, uh, you're one of my favorite people in the world. I, uh, I, uh, you know, love you so much and respect everything that you're about and, you know, all the things that you do, you know, I use you, you know, my kids and and you have a special relationship with one of them. I know. And, you know, you're a role model for my kids. And I always, you know, would say, and you've heard me say this, that when it comes to my basketball program or our basketball program, you know, it's about getting people. And I said this from the time my kids were little, but I'll never have anybody in our program. That's not a good role model for my kids. And that's still, you know, they're teenagers now and it's still the way I operate when it's recruiting time. But, uh, you've been such a huge role model for my kids and such a great, you know, friend to me and my family. And, you know, I'm just so proud of everything you're doing and, uh, you know, the, the passion that you live with Lee and the positive outlook you have on life, uh, inspires me. So keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, yeah, I'm proud of you. Thank you, Coach, man. I love you too, and I appreciate it. It's always been an honor to be in your guys' presence and your presence and see what you've accomplished. And, and yeah, yeah. And I, those, those three years at Chico were some of the best years of my life. Um, and you helped make those the best years. So, uh, you know, I know you got to get going. You got a Zoom call soon, so I'll let you go. But I appreciate it so, so much that you were able to get on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And, uh, Yeah, I look forward to to many more podcasts that you do. I enjoy them. Thanks a lot, Coach. All right, Uh, tell family I said hi. I'll talk to you later. Sounds good, buddy. Talk to you soon. Bye. I won't let you do me wrong. Put everything in every song. Can't wait for you to take too long. I'll admit when I'm not strong. I won't let you do me wrong.